0: Wisdom and reflection is self-introspection These uh-huh. moments in the mirror keep it all in perspective yeah. Touching minds, touching hearts, touching lives All around the world from the kings to the tribes Peace and freedom and following the father I'm the pen and the ink, and he's the author uh-huh. We're disciples with our eyes closed and our hands up hands telling, girl, A moment with Miranda, a moment with Miranda. Welcome to this week's Moment with Miranda and our time together today at the Mirror of the Word of God. These are the moments that we set apart to look deeply into God's Word and to see what we haven't seen before or to hear something that maybe we've forgotten about. But ultimately, we come to the Word of God to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the one who we not only find in the Word, but the one who is the Word. So in this moment today, we're going to be talking about our sight. So if that sounds interesting to you, I hope you'll stay with me today as we say, Hey Jane, where are my eyes? I have wonderful memories of a very simple childhood. One where we played outside a lot, came home for dinner when the streetlights came on, had a paper out as our first jobs, and then worked at our family business throughout high school. My grandfather had started this little mom and pop variety store and he ran it faithfully for over 40 years. Throughout my time as an employee at my pap store, I remember him wearing his little true value vest that held a number of pens and pencils and supposedly his glasses. Funny enough, they were never in the holder that was there for him, and almost daily we could hear him say, Jane, where's my eyes? Well, Jane was my grandma. And I think sometimes every woman that worked in the store became Jane at one time or another in those moments, looking for his eyes or his glasses. He had discarded them somewhere while he was working. Sometimes we would find them on his desk. Other times they would be at the counter where he was making an order. Sometimes they would just be left by a can of paint in the middle of the aisle as he had been looking at something. Sometimes they were down in the basement where he had been doing a job before. But what I remember and makes me laugh to this day is that little question. Hey, Jane, where's my eyes? Of course, it's with our eyes that we're able to take in the beauty of the world around us. We're able to see friends and family that we interact with. We can read books or look at our phones from which we can glean knowledge and find out information. The eyes help us to see this visible world and they shape our world and For those who need them, glasses can certainly help to make this everyday world more clear. But I've been thinking a lot this week about Jesus's first scripture reading in the synagogue of Nazareth after he made his way out of the wilderness temptations. And the Gospel of Luke gives us this story and he gives us some of what I think are really interesting observations. To begin with, when Jesus goes into the wilderness experience that we are all very well acquainted with, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we read, it says, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus had just been baptized by John and the voice of the father had come and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove. And Luke says he was full of the Holy Ghost, but led by that same spirit into the wilderness and into a time where temptation would happen. In overcoming those temptations as human man, I think to show us the way that we can too, through the Word of God and in the power of the Spirit, it says then in verse 14, that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out His fame. I want you to notice that He went into the wilderness full of the Spirit and came out in his power. I've heard it said that this is where Jesus became anointed for ministry, being 30 years of age and that being the time that a priest would be baptized and anointed to take the place in the service of the tabernacle. And this could certainly be the case. Of course, we know that Jesus was anointed from birth, but just in line and in reference with the culture of that time, and specifically the religious culture, it could be a possibility that Jesus being 30 years of age, that this was kind of that baptism and that anointing into public ministry. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue in his hometown and he reads the prophecy of Isaiah that's found in the 61st chapter that says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are bruised to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of his favor. And some of the commentaries that I have read suggested that this acceptable year was not just any year, but perhaps it was the year of Jubilee that was given to the people of Israel back in the book of Leviticus chapter 25. To understand the significance of this possibility, I think we should take a few minutes and look back at what the Jubilee actually is and what it can speak to us today about our site. The year of Jubilee was something that would occur every 50 years. And the purpose of it was to let the captives go free and to return to their land and their possession. This was not a totally new concept because Israel had also been given the covenant of the Sabbath and the two tied very closely together. Many of us are familiar with the Sabbath. We have called it Sunday, the Lord's Day. In the past, in our Western culture, we were much better about truly making it a day dedicated to the Lord and to our own rest and recuperation from the week. But the purpose was to observe and to receive what God Himself observed and received, and that was rest. After six days of creation, on the seventh day, God looked at everything that He had made and He pronounced it good. And he rested. This word rest is the word Sabbat, which means to desist from exertion, to still, to rest, or to celebrate. This rest that God was taking was not simply because he was tired from all the work that he had done and from what he had made, as if he could tire. But rather, what if this rest was a celebration of what he had done? What if it was a set-apart time to enjoy the fruit of his hand? This was a precedent that God set throughout the Old Testament. It was one of his commands, the fourth command, in fact. And it was not meant to be a chore, but a celebration for his people. So, every week they took a Sabbath in which they were to do no work, freeing themselves from the daily grind of life and enjoying the fruit of a week's effort. Likewise, every seventh year was to be a Sabbath for the land to rest. They weren't to plant crops but to let the land replenish it says let the land lay fallow so that it can enjoy its rest so it could produce the next time more quality and with better consistency this is something that even our land today benefits from if we will let it happen in the seventh year not only was the land rested, but also those who had been indentured servants, perhaps to one of their brother or sister Israelites would have the option of being released from the position that they were in. They were allowed to leave that servitude with provision and with blessing because they were released in the seventh year from their obligation of debt and work. If they liked what they were doing, if they liked their master, the one who they were working for and were happy, they could stay there. If they were still unable to live on their own, they could choose to remain where they were, but it was a choice. And it was never an obligation specifically for those who were of the Israelites, a brother or a sister. And every seven years, there was this freedom. To make that choice. While the ground rested, the captives were also allowed to go free. The Jubilee year came in after there had been 49 years of Sabbath weeks in seven Sabbath years. The 50th year was proclaimed a Jubilee, literally a year of liberty, meaning a flowing, free run or to move out rapidly. That's what this word liberty means. And the word Jubilee itself means horn or to be led along or a joyful shout. So maybe we could say that Jubilee was the joyful announcement leading the people to a time of freedom in that year the freedom wasn't just about the people going free to leave their place of servitude but it was also about their freedom to return to their inheritance because in the year of jubilee any who through the last 49 years were forced to sell their land because they fell on hard times they were given it back they were able to return and possess their inheritance again They were released from debt and obligation to live on and to work another person's land, but they were given back their very own possession. So this type of year may have been the very year physically for Israel as Jesus stood before them and began to proclaim through the scripture, the foretold spiritual jubilee that was here. The word that's used in the Greek New Testament for Jubilee is the word aphias, which means to release from bondage or imprisonment. It means forgiveness or pardon of sins. It's letting them go as if they had never been committed in a remission of the penalty. This word is used twice in Jesus' reading of the Torah in Nazareth that day, declaring release to those held captive, sight for those who are blinded, and freedom to those who are broken, proclaiming the year of the favor of God. And then he adds, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears It was to be this time of the joyful sound, proclaiming what all of Israel had been believing for the coming of the Messiah, who would fulfill this very scripture that was being read. It was here him declaring that the time to inherit the promise had come that he was here. The land of Israel itself was not to be just a physical land. Yes, they were a physical people and given a tangible land that was theirs. They had fought battles for it. They had been run off of it. They had returned to it. They had plowed and they had worked it. They had built upon it. They'd raised families on it. There had been generations and there had always been opposition over it. This was not just to be a physical temporal truth, though, but it was a shadow of a greater spiritual reality that the land itself was not the true inheritance. The land belonged to God. It was on loan from God, but that the inheritance itself was actually God. It was God with man dwelling once again with him like they had in Eden. And all of this physical was a means to be a shadow of a true greater spiritual reality. The presence of Messiah was evidence that this spiritual reality was real. This land was real, not just a physical land, but a spiritual inheritance that God has never stopped desiring to be with them, with his people from Eden to the tabernacle, to the temple, and ultimately within them. He was the inheritance. Jesus was. Perhaps standing there, this was him saying it's Jubilee time for you to come back to your inheritance. But what does this have to do with our sight? Remember Jane, where's my eyes? So many times my grandpa's glasses were there right in front of him all the time and he didn't see them because he didn't have them, he couldn't have the right perception to be able to read what he needed. He couldn't get the results that he wanted because he didn't have the site that would give him clarity to maybe be able to make an order or to read something that had to do with the business. See, Jesus said to those in Nazareth, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And it says that they wondered at the grace filled words that came out of his mouth, but then they went to their sight and said, is this not Joseph's son? their wonder and hope was awakened at what they heard this good news freedom liberty this proclamation of a joyful sound no more obligation of of debt the remission from the penalty they listened to these grace-filled words but their perception and their judgment was clouded because they didn't have eyes to see past his humanity past his pedigree past his past. They couldn't see the treasure in the earthen vessel before them, offering them the land of their inheritance right before their eyes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about this treasure that we have in earthen vessels, that the power of God within us is a gift received by faith. Just previous to this verse, though, he says we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not mishandling God's word or deceiving others with it, but openly declaring this message to everyone. And so commending ourselves in the sight and presence of God to every man's conscience. He said, but if our gospel is hidden, obscured and covered up with a veil that hinders the knowledge of God, it's only hidden to those who are perishing and it's only obscured to those who are spiritually dying. And it's veiled to those who are lost for the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they should not discern the truth, preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image and the likeness of God. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely your servants for Jesus' sake. They couldn't see past Jesus' physical man to discern and see who he was. They couldn't see past their own previous understanding of the scriptures to see that this day the word had been made flesh and was calling them to freely inherit and possess his eternal kingdom. It would only be those who would step out on the wonder of his words in obedience that would have their eyes open to the glorious reality of Jubilee, who he really was. I think about the man born blind in John chapter 9. Everyone wondered, was it a sin that he had committed that made him this way? Was it something that his parents had done? Was it something that God had caused so that his glory could be seen? Do you know it never says that God caused the man to be born blind? It never says that God determined that he would live blind all of those years so that one day he could be used for God's glory. Believing that almost makes it seem like God causes sickness and disease and brokenness all to use people for his purpose. But friends, I'm not sure that that lines up with who God really is. That would mean that God does bad things so that he can become good to us. No way. That is circumstantial theology that I believe was man-made to try to explain why bad things happen in our lives. The truth is that sin is in the world and the result of sin is brokenness and sickness. But God will turn all of that for good in our lives to declare that his glory is greater than any byproduct of the fall. Jesus said this man was not a sinner. Nor were his parents sinners. But in his life, this was so that the works of God would be revealed. If healing in sight was what God gave, then blindness was not his work. Healing is his work. God doesn't work bad things in order to work good things. That doesn't make sense. So this man, he heard the words of Jesus and faith was awakened in his heart. Even in the weird instructions that Jesus gave, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So this blind man had to walk to a pool and wash, which sounds crazy. How would he get there? Shouldn't someone lead him? Why that pool in particular? So many questions that could have been considered. And if he looked at his own ability to see, if he was looking for his glasses before he went, he never would have gone. But there had been something awakened at Jesus' word, so he went. When i look back and i see where i made bold steps of faith in my life it was usually not a very calculated thing when i started to look at scenarios and how things could play out i would talk myself out of doing it because there would be too many factors in which i was uncertain of or couldn't control and i was afraid that i would make a mistake or a bad choice or be hearing wrong so the times that i stepped out in these bold steps of faith it was just because i simply determined yes i'm gonna do it god has always met me it was simple faith in the goodness of god that led me out this is what that man did and he received his physical sight But not only that, because suddenly this nobody of a man who we don't even get to know his name had spiritual discernment that the religious of his day lacked. He was telling them, we know that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. And if this man who healed me was a sinner, would I be healed? Never in the history of the world was it heard that a man born blind received his sight. If he wasn't from God, he couldn't do anything. This student here knew more than these supposed teachers of the law and he got kicked out of class for seeing what other people didn't see and being willing to talk about it. The beautiful thing in his story, though, is that Jesus didn't just leave him physically well, it would have been enough. But Jubilee wasn't just about release from captivity. It was also about possession. And there was an eternal promise of a land to dwell in that this man had yet to receive. (laughs) Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he said, Lord, who is he that I might believe? And Jesus said, and this is powerful, you have both seen him and you are talking to him this man heard and he saw, he found his eyes physically and spiritually. And with that came Jubilee, not just release, but possession of the promise of eternal life. Wow, that is so amazing. So friends, the year of Jubilee is still being proclaimed in this time. We have to recognize that when Jesus, when he read this scripture in Luke chapter 4, there's something that he didn't read at the end of it. Because in Isaiah's prophecy, whenever it says that he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, it finishes, and the day of the vengeance of our God. You see, there is coming a day of the vengeance of God. But notice when Jesus read this scripture that he left off at the acceptable year. So to me, friends, this tells me that that acceptable year and the acceptable time for the favor of God, the acceptable Jubilee for the people of God is even now still going on. And that Jubilee will end only when the day of the vengeance of God comes, when he comes to revenge all sin, when he comes to bring his vengeance and his wrath upon a world that refuses to believe and receive their land. So that this Jubilee, it was a special time, I believe in 50 years, but there has also been this dispensation of Jubilee in which you and I find ourselves, where release has been made and the offer of possession still stands. And we are told to boldly go and to proclaim the good news of this kingdom. But coupled with our words must also come sight. And it's only the Spirit of God that can remove the veil from unbelieving eyes, just like Paul wrote in the book of 2 Corinthians. That is God's work, and it is our work to go and to tell that there is now freedom and liberty from sin and its effects to whoever will come and participate in this jubilee. So, friends, in this moment today, where are your eyes? (laughs) Have you only heard the word of hope that has stirred your heart, but you haven't responded to it? Do you need your eyes to be open to see? Are you saying, Jane, where's my eyes? (laughs) I can tell you for a certainty, if you ask for your eyes to be open, you will see. It might not be this rush of revelation and it might not be this aha moment of grandiose proportion like Saul being knocked off of his animal and physically made blind and then healed to be able to see and receive all of the spiritual revelation. It might not be a seeing like that. It will most likely be this glimmer of hope in an otherwise really dark place. It probably will sound like something that just seems could it really be it sounds almost too good to be true and even hard to swallow because of its simplicity but follow the still voice follow the goodness of God saying come and you will see and friends it will be jubilee it will be a joyful sound in your ears Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the gift of Jubilee for Jesus and the release of the captives and the returning of our inheritance. Father, I thank you that Jesus is our Jubilee and that he has come that we might have recovery of sight, that he did these physical healings of blind men but father he does spiritual healing as well where we can have the veil removed from our eyes to truly see you and to walk in liberty and freedom i pray father that we would be a people that understands that this is jubilee that this is the time and that we go and we proclaim that same jubilee to all who are captive to all who are held bound and oppressed by the enemy and our responsibility is solely to go and to tell that there is a free and, and it is found in Jesus and there is a possession and he is Jesus. And Father, I pray that the spirit of God would move and open the eyes of the blind so that they can truly see and they can truly be set free. I ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Friends, thanks for joining me for this moment with Miranda. I really pray that you were blessed and that you will tune in again next time for another moment with Miranda. See you soon.